this this topic is very, very timely right now. Um, when it comes to topics such as fake news, I think most people would consider it a newer phenomenon. Depending who you ask, it uh, took a rise um, during the most recent presidency. Um, and then the other half of most people you would ask would say that it took a rise during the previous presidency. Um, some people may say that it took a rise um, as the internet got popular. Some people would say it took a rise within the past, you know, 10 years as social media got popular. When in reality, the history of fake news um, is much older than that. Um, and fake news is more different than censorship uh, than people even realize. But it is also more similar um, to censorship than people are able to understand. This doesn't have anything to do with how smart people are. It, it's literally um, more to do with the fact that um, it is a piece of the same puzzle. Um, where censorship is the puzzle... And fake news is a piece in it. Fake news is something that um, has less to do with uh, the rise in censorship as the fact that um, more people are becoming aware of fake news uh, has a lot more to do with the rise in censorship. And this is an interesting phenomenon because for most people, fake news is, you know, an internet thing or something that the internet is a plague to journalism or the integrity of journalism or getting, you know, quality information. But um, as a matter of fact, uh, there was no uh, regulatory system for free press in uh, the early 1800s and by about the mid 1800s is when um, the media outlets at that time it was newspapers when they started to get bought up by industrialists and um, I use industrialists not as a socialist would but as a capitalist would use the word crony capitalist um, this is essentially what industrialists are. Industrialists, I've talked about this in other podcasts, um, industrialists literally are crony capitalists. Um, the industry model is literally monopoly. And this is tough when industrialization is questioned, you know, even less than capitalism is questioned by socialists. Um and industrialism is questioned pretty much not at all by capitalists. And this creates kind of a, like a, almost an esoteric thing of what it is 
based on people's disinterest in knowing what it is. It's not that the knowledge is hidden or somehow occult. It's it's literally people just have no interest in knowing what the difference is between capitalism and industrialism. But this podcast isn't about that, but it is affected by the rise of industrialism over the past 200 years in not just the modern world, but the entire globe. Um, so where does fake news fit into this? Well, we know that censorship has been around um, through tyrannical regimes all over the world since the beginning of history. Um, the Library of Alexandria fell victim to uh, the overthrow of the state and what's interesting is when the state was falling the state leaders uh, piggybacked on the destruction of the library of alexandria because that was the only thing that was undermining their control of the people so um, I, I know i was never taught that in you know any part of my education and uh, i thought that the Library of Alexandria was an arm of the tyrannical state and their role was to censor and steal information when it was quite the contrary since they were an open source resource to anyone that wanted to come and learn what they had to know. Um, and they were an unfortunate victim to the mobs that hated the state and didn't know the difference between the Library of Alexandria and the rest of, you know, the empire at that time. And it's how the leaders of the state ended up joining the riots to help destroy Alexandria uh, to regain power. And these, <laughs> these statists were not the ones in control these status were uh, actually slaves, but they were very loyal to the state and they didn't like Alexandria's role because they felt like it was limiting their ability to um, get taken care of by the state as it was losing control. These are some untold stories of history, not that they are untold because they don't exist, but mostly because people don't really care about history. Um, let's fast forward to a modern example of uh, censorship. Let's let's look at the Nazis specifically. The Nazis are, you know, pretty notorious for uh, knowing how to censor information and get away with it for a very long period of time in a way that we see as you know, overt censorship. They were doing book burnings and all of these things. But what did this actually look like on the streets? I mean, most people um, did not witness the book burnings. In fact, the people who witnessed the book burnings were getting carried away to, you know, either their death or concentration camps or all sorts of things. And most people were already dead by the time they did the book burnings. Um and what's interesting is most of the times they just put all the books into, you know, loads of trucks to take them to their, you know, new library of Alexandria. But what they ended up doing was um, taking the books that, that supported their cause and burning the rest. 
So the book burnings actually went on behind the scenes. So most people that were affected by the Nazis didn't even know about the book burnings until, you know, after the war and learning about all the things the Nazis had done. This is the case not just for the book burnings, but the concentration camps and all of these things. By the time America got into the war, uh, they didn't even believe that there were concentration camps. It was not until they reclaimed Poland did, were they aware that, okay, this is this is much bigger than the spies predicted and most of America didn't even believe the spies when they came back with pictures. And this is, uh, this is how good the Nazis were at not just censorship, but fake news. What is fake news? Fake news is propaganda, um, plain and simple. What is propaganda? Well, history, um, as told in pretty much everywhere else but the United States, I found out because I, 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 um, I explored many universities in the United States, um, audited many, many marketing classes, looked at the syllabuses, and found that there was almost no mention of a man named Edward Bernays. Um, at the time, I wasn't looking uh, for Edward Bernays. I just remember that I saw nothing on him other than, you know, pretty much honorable mentions in the history of marketing and his influence on marketing, which is quite fascinating because what I found from a, a BBC documentary called The Century of the Self, uh, you can find this documentary at historyofpropaganda.com. Um, this was an interesting documentary because it it shined a light on Edward Bernays in a way that, you know, somebody as fascinated with marketing and history as me um, could have gone so long without any in-depth knowledge of him. Really, not even just in-depth knowledge, but like any relevant knowledge. Um, Edward Bernays literally wrote the book on propaganda. His first big fanboy, other than, you know, GM and the banks, and um, the banks loved him because he used his uh, propaganda companies. That They called it that at that time. It had a different term. Uh, it, it had a different sentiment to the people at that time. In fact, propaganda meant the same thing as PR, um, before the Nazis. But his first big fanboy was uh, the Nazi propaganda minister. Um, that was his, you know, number one fan. Um, he read uh, Edward Bernays' book, Propaganda, cover to cover. Um, he was a bigger fan than the banks who loved Edward Bernays for getting the masses into buying stocks um, leveraged by their banks and, you know, brokerage companies that they set up it's they they loved him for that that like companies like GM and you know consumeristic companies really really liked him for helping them manufacture wants and manufacture consent so that they could compete with you know companies like Ford who were more about you know reasonable facts and things that mattered and not just getting people to spend as much as possible um Edward Bernays was the father of propaganda um, through World War I 
and World War II, and then um, he kind of had to stop using the word propaganda as soon as the Nazis became bad guys, which was, you know, he kind of felt duped by the banks that he helped invest in them and market their investment in them and spread that news around, you know, the future of, you know, Germany. In fact, he was responsible for getting Hitler on the cover of Time magazine because at this time he literally pulled all the strings of mass media. Like, that's just the way things worked back then. He was, you know, the god of marketing at the top of the spectrum at that time. Um, and then after World War II, he had to change uh, – <laughs> it's, it's quite interesting. They always say that there's no such thing as bad PR unless your primary product is attributed with the memory of Nazis. So there actually is such a thing as bad PR. There is such a thing as bad press. Um, and Bernays experienced that when propaganda became a bad word. Um, so he invented public relations uh, councils. And public relations went on the rise. He started experimenting more and more with ad networks in magazines that he was helping with the celebrities that he represented. represented. Um, so he also became the father of ad networks. And then eventually, with the help of Anna Freud, which is the daughter of his uncle who inspired all of uh, Bernaysian marketing with Freudian control tactics and manipulation. And Bernays is the reason that Freud had a popular rise in America and also had, you know, <laughs> a massive fallout afterwards. Bernaysian marketing was responsible for getting most people to... Um, hate Freud and his teachings, but they were separate from it. Um, this shift happened in the 70s and 80s. So what does all this mean? I mean, Edward Bernays is the father of propaganda, which is the same thing as PR. Um, ads were meant to support his propaganda and PR networks. He, he and Anna Freud um, set up admin franchises for their ideology. Um, most admin didn't know why these things started the history that PR used to be propaganda. All they were concerned with was making lots and lots of money. Um, that's not necessarily a bad thing, but that's how somebody can be duped to using a tool that was, you know, used successfully to attempt world domination. Um, this is something that would have called anyone's you know, ethics in for realignment, but this information was kind of kept from them. This is how the harmony of censorship and fake news works. Um, that is when fake news as we know it in this modern era, when we have more types of news than newspaper, um, that's when it really started to take off. Edward Bernays was always on the cutting edge of new technologies, as most criminals are. As we know, Bonnie and Clyde were some of the earliest adopters of cars. You know, telephone scams were what really kept the common people from wanting to use telephones in the early days. Same thing with the internet. The internet faced those kind of problems. Uh, decentralized technology is facing these sort of problems now. Criminals are always the early adopters. It just so happened in the early 1900s that criminals weren't just on the bottom of, you know, 
the capitalist spectrum. They were also at the very, very top, but they were unknown. They were kind of invisible to people. People didn't really know about Edward Bernays until if, if they weren't a titan of industry, they didn't really know about Edward Bernays until he made an appearance on David Letterman's show in the 80s. And he made a joke about how he made a career of literally lying to people, explaining how, you know, he wanted uh, David Letterman to call him a doctor because uh, of the principle that if he calls him a doctor, people are more likely to believe things that he says. Edward Bernays made a career out of lying to people in a way that uh, even people like Donald Trump can't can't even begin to accomplish what he was able to accomplish. He created the um, propaganda networks, the PR networks, the ad networks, franchised it out, um, distracting people with making a lot of money or the hopes of making a lot of money. And they move up in the world of PR and advertising by how many of their ethics they're able to uh, push aside. Um, ethical principles they're able to just, you know, forego completely. Uh, this is by design with the ideology. It wasn't some evil mastermind. Edward Bernays was just interested in making a lot of money. Um, this in itself is not necessarily evil, nor does it represent evil intentions. Making lots of money does not make someone evil as much as it doesn't make somebody a righteous person like prosperity gospels preach. Um, so don't get confused that, um, you know, Bernays' intelligence or success is the reason for his corruption. It was absolutely his lack of emotional intelligence that led to his corruption. He didn't think about people in groups of one. He thought about them in masses. And, and he thought about people as being stupid. He really thought very, very low of people, a lot like his uncle Sigmund Freud ended up becoming more and more like after he became homeless and penniless in the war and teamed up with his nephew, who he didn't really appreciate. But, you know, he got his book to start selling, so, you know, he couldn't really complain anymore. But this is uh, this is tough because... The reason you know about Sigmund Freud is Edward Bernays. The reason you hate Sigmund Freud is because of Edward Bernays. The people who still use Freudian control manipulation tactics are the ones who utilize things like NLP and marketing and ad networks and manipulate people and control people to react based on their feelings and lesser emotions and beliefs and manipulate them through control psychological control mechanisms that, you know, more modern psychologists work very, very hard to underthrow these things um, with, uh, you know, more union psychology or following heuristical analysis um, instead of Freudian psychoanalysis. Um, also, the reason it's considered taboo by my, most psychologists now uh, to analyze dreams is because Freud has been pretty much wholly discredited when dreams have about the same relevance on reality as human consciousness. So this is something where it's a subtle contradiction um, because everyone's afraid of being associated with Freud. But his ideas weren't all bad. I mean, he pretty much championed psychology 
when no one else was to give even Jung a platform to contradict Freud on for his ego and hubris. Um, and this is just the evolution of ideas. Jung's genius wouldn't really exist if, you know, Freud hadn't paved the way for people like him to even have a platform. Um, this came hand in hand with, you know, Bernays' manipulation of his uncle to get his works popular through controversy, through what I call conflict marketing, which is the heart of fake news and propaganda. Um, it's realizing that nothing is divinely organized, nor is it evil mastermind. It's just all kind of people doing what they think is best and some people doing what they think is better and conflict starting because how can you have something better than the best? And this is the conflict of egos throughout time. It's not that there's some evil mastermind Illuminati, you know, competing for world domination when in fact there are several of them in this way where it's it's not some crazy conspiracy theory. It works just like it does in the criminal underworld. You don't have one master cartel trying to, you know, sell everyone all their drugs. It's a lot of people are in competition for this stuff. There's not one mastermind criminal group that's selling all the drugs, all the guns, all the slaves. It's it's groups competing with each other all the time. Some smaller, some larger, some more innovative than the ones that have gotten comfortable at the top. It's it's like this in the criminal underbelly as it is in the very tippy top of the industrialized, you know, revolutions that have been going on. And they change faces. I mean, the first industrial revolution was British and led to the printing press, which led to America. And then the second industrial revolution led to everything I'm talking about with Edward Bernays and... You know, the third industrial revolution led to, you know, this rise in a new type of fake news with the internet, with, um, you know, companies like Google and Facebook being at the forefront of it. So how does censorship look in this modern day when, you know, fake news is, everyone's well aware of fake news? Well, in reality, people weren't really aware of fake news until, you know, the rise of the internet. But history shows us that everything that people are calling fake news is exactly what Bernays built an advertising and marketing and PR and propaganda empire on. So fake news as it, as it relates to you now has been going on since, uh, you know, World War I, plain and simple. Propaganda was a new science at that time. Bernays became the best at it and uh, also the most corrupt. And what we called fake news before we started calling it fake news was PR, marketing, and advertising. This is an inconvenient truth, especially coming from a marketer when there are so many marketers in the world right now. But it is the largest cult with an ideology that, you know, is, you know, as unknown as calling marketing is a cult is offensive to other marketers. And I apologize if your feelings were hurt. But, you know, taking a page from Gary V, nobody gives a fuck about your feelings. So grow up for a second. 
Um, keep listening if you can, even if just to try and pick apart what I say and pick apart what's at historyofpropaganda.com. Um, you know, maybe read a book or two, maybe start with, uh, you know, really anything that you don't want to read, um, and just go forward from there. Um, you could read, you know, Thinking Fast and Slow or The Undoing Project, can give you an understanding of heuristical analysis. Um, but, you know, just uh, try and keep up if you can at this point. I'm sorry if my tone upsets you, um, but I don't really care um, because I'm not trying to manipulate you. Um, I'm just trying to share an education that um, if you had known about, you wouldn't be upset. And if this is desperately what you've been trying to look for, um, you're not upset. And this is good news for you. Um, but this is why it feels like it's a war against religion. But, you know, I find that the biggest religions in this world aren't even close to being religious in most people's definition of the word. This is why I've started using the word culturism to describe how people can be aware of fake news in a day and age like now, um, but also not be aware that fake news is anything but new. Um, and they don't want to understand that the causation between fake news is advertising, marketing, and PR traditionally. Um, that's not to say that there isn't such a thing as good marketing or ethical marketing. Um, marketing in itself is a tool. Marketing in itself is not bad. Jack Reese and, uh, or sorry, Jack Trout and Al Reese, I think, uh, maybe I mixed their names up trying to fix their, anyways, the, the authors of the 22 Immutable Laws of Marketing that inspired, you know, other creatives such as Seth Godin and Gary Vee and Jeremy Rifkin and, um, you know, just Ryan Holiday and Robert Greene and mega geniuses that are pushing forward what I call the ethical marketing movement that has a lot to do with terms like growth hacking that most people don't know what they are. Most people in marketing, such as myself, either believe or I, I definitely believed for a very long time that uh, growth hacking was just, you know, a buzzword, but it's the ethical evolution of marketing. There is a solution out there. I'm not just trying to drum up fear or else I'd be no good as the conspiracy theorists that want to solve your problems for you. No, you can solve your own problems by reading, um, you know, a couple of books on growth hacking. I highly suggest Ryan Holiday's works. Um but, uh, you know, 22 Immutable Laws of Marketing is a great one. This is Marketing by Seth Godin is amazing. Uh, Growth Hacker Marketing is a great bridge of how this took off in the digital age by Ryan Holiday. Um, there is an ethical solution. This isn't just fear-mongering to get you to feel like you've been duped. There's a solution. You don't need to feel like you're duped if, you know, you just look into the solution. Um that 
doesn't mean that, you know, it isn't also your choice to reject this and refuse to educate yourself further on how to be more ethical when you're contradicted, which is fine. I mean, being a hypocrite is fine as long as you don't, you know, hold on to an old idea because of the discomfort of breaking through a new obstacle because the obstacle is the way. And this is how we resolve the fake news problem because fake news is one piece of uh, this censorship puzzle. And some of the other pieces are propaganda, which connects directly to fake news. It's just the modern word for fake news. And propaganda is the same thing as PR. Um, so it's it's funny how they create ethical constructs for marketing and PR and advertising, but uh, the only thing that makes those ethics enforceable is whether or not people make money. So doing marketing and PR and advertising, if your goal is to not make profit, um, actually makes non-profit marketing organizations the most dangerous in the world. Um, this is a very, very inconvenient truth because they can completely bypass ethical laws that for-profit marketers cannot, and this should really, really put people um, in a place that makes them uncomfortable. But honestly, all you have to do is check. Like, when you were... <laughs> This, this sounds extremely hard, but it's not. You just have to build the habit. And you just have to know that, you know, if a nonprofit organization is promoting something, they don't have to follow ethics at all. Um, it's not to say that for-profit companies can't disregard ethics completely. They're usually the ones that make the most money doing it. So it's honestly better to just avoid marketing, PR, and advertising all together. Um, news is one of those things where um, news is actually the best way to spread marketing, PR, and propaganda for the Freudian control tactics because people trust news differently than they do ads. But this is why we have so much more awareness of syndicated, you know, mandatory um news announcements that um, all the news syndicates have to read a script that you just, these people that you trust are reading a script and they're not allowed to tell you that they're reading a script. This is um, leveraged manipulation where they're afraid that they're going to lose their jobs if they don't do this and they can't see how it's bad because they can't see the big picture. Um, some of them can see how it's bad, but they're just seen as, you know, not doing what needs to get done to protect the integrity of journalism when the integrity of journalism is being undermined and underthrow in a way that even most journalists don't have the ability to pay attention to all these details on the quantitative level. That's how fake news can slide. And you know what's interesting is if, if I wanted to cover up uh, censorship, mass censorship, um, I would do what the Nazis did, which is use fake news, um, use the uh, hysteria of fake news, where they actually would set up uh, 
news stations that they would take over and then create conflict by uh, telling the news broadcasters to say that they aren't being manipulated and make it really sound like they're reading a script so that people would argue over whether or not that news outlet was fake news um, or, you know, corrupt or, you know, being manipulated by the Nazis. They use different terminology than we do now um, to distract people from the real atrocities, which was mass censorship at that time um, that was going on behind the scenes. And the interesting thing is the people who noticed mass censorship um, during this time, it was very, very confusing because England was making it sound like the Nazis weren't a threat. They were trying to negotiate with them. This calmed people down more than it should um, and gave them a, a reason to have cognitive dissonance to say that, you know, it's crazy to think that the Nazis are burning books or putting people in concentration camps. It's crazy to think that. It's it's propaganda. You're, you're a conspiracy theorist. These things were literally talked about at that time. When mass censorship was going on, they were quieting people up. They were killing people to keep them quiet. They were burning books. They were making it extremely difficult to get certain types of information because they couldn't erase all the information. I mean, you could always still go to America or somewhere else in the world that had the information you were looking for. But people would say things like, you know, it seems a lot harder to find the things I need to know. You know, it seems a lot harder to find the books that used to just be available. You know, it's why is it hard to find these things? Why is it hard to, you know, to know certain things? Why is it so confusing? They would talk about... You know, things that rhyme true with what we're going through now because I wouldn't use fake news um, <laughs> unless I was trying to hide something bigger like mass censorship. And anybody who's been using the internet um, regularly, I'm talking about, you know, 20 hours a week since before 2008. Even before 2000, if you were using the internet more than 20 hours a week since before 2000, not to do work, but for personal entertainment, beyond pornography, you'll notice that um, the internet has become kind of a safe space where it is cultured in mega cults online um, that we trust in ways that um, I don't remember needing to trust the internet back when it was even more useful. Um, and I see that now it's made people lazy. And I've talked about this in an earlier podcast where, you know, people talk about, you know, not believing everything you read on the internet. But on the other hand, they don't know how to verify things on the internet without somebody else or some trusted source helping them do so. They don't know how to trust but verify online and this is something that really confused me when I was younger in the early 2000s and people were saying you know don't believe everything you read online I'm like no shit like I've, I've verified these things and I didn't realize that other people weren't doing this and what I realized is people didn't learn to do it more they actually learned to do it less especially younger generations Gen Z which should have no excuse not to know how to verify things online. And if you want a crash course 
on how to verify things online without anyone helping you, come to uh, libraryofconsciousness.com, join the community, and like I will, I will help you do this, and we can make a course to share with people, an open source course to share with people to help educate them in a way that is easy and quick to understand on how to verify anything online because you should treat everything like it's misinformation and it can be as second nature as it is for me to verify things online i can verify things quicker than most people you know search google for an answer for their questions and it can be this way for everyone just as you know it's difficult for kids to want to you know get in the routine of brushing their teeth but given enough time and practice, it can become second nature to the point where they can't imagine not doing that as an adult. Um, and this is uh, this is what's important, is realizing that it's not conspiracy theory um, to say that there is mass censorship going on. We see the ingredients to it. It's just... We don't want to believe that it's going on, so we actually don't allow ourselves to comprehend the big picture. We see pieces of the big picture, but we won't take the time to just integrate the fact that mass censorship is going on in a way that most people don't know how to recognize, and that's okay. Some of the smartest people in the world don't know how to recognize mass censorship. Like... (laughs) Some of the smartest people in the world, presidents, world rulers, and, you know, (laughs) aristocrats and scholars and researchers didn't know how to see the mass censorship happening when it was happening during World War II. It's, It's not something to be ashamed of, but these things can be taught. We have learned from our mistakes, and there are ways to learn how to recognize and how to integrate. And you don't have to be afraid that mass censorship is happening. I have more hope now than ever because I know how to keep myself safe. I know how to trust. I know how to verify. I know how to do things that most people are so afraid to even address this reality because they don't know how to know these things and that it's really confusing and I don't blame you because there are so many pieces that go into this it feels like this when you address every single one of those pieces so it's realizing that you know I may have addressed different pieces at different times in my life this wasn't a you know I'm so smart I found a simple way to figure this all out it's Several, several simple fixes, but when in the process of doing them, we have to address our hopelessness and our fear and our anxiety in a way that is extremely uncomfortable until we know what we need to know to not be afraid anymore. And that's the hope of this. This is, this is the whole point of ethical marketing, like growth hacking is to help people understand how to protect themselves and their own reputation and, you know, survive and bob and weave in a world where scary things are going on. But you don't have to be scared. It's just there aren't enough people saying what I'm saying. So, you know, help me say this. Like, come and learn and help me spread this message of hope.
This is what we have going on. We don't have to live in a world where we need somebody else to fix the fake news problem. You can put on, you know, the fake news spectacles and see right through the crap without having to ask anyone for help, without having it to be solved on a systemic level, because this is going to be like working out. You know, you can either delegate your sanity to somebody else who's never going to come, or you can take care of it yourself. You can do the mental exercise to learn this new technique. And what's interesting is, is it's not new because I created it. I'm just regurgitating information that I wish was more popular. Like, I really wish it was. Um, but it's not because it doesn't feel as good as buying some shiny new toy or buying a new car or buying that house you've always wanted or eating sugar or eating cheese. Oh, man. Cheese is so fucking good. Um, and these are these are the... You know, this is the dilemma of fake news versus censorship is they are two sides of the same coin. But most people for the longest longest time thought it was just a one-sided coin. And now they're seeing the other side and they, they don't, they don't know that right on the other side is censorship. And if you see more fake news being traded on the other side of that coin is censorship. And be wary because, you know, the things that are getting censored are not the things being called fake news. The masses call anything they want fake news. But interestingly enough, the people who coined the, the phrase fake news in today's day and age aren't actually censoring the things that they're calling fake news. And this is a direct contradiction for the things that are getting censored. And when there was a fake news list, it's interesting that the most powerful and the wealthiest fake news uh, industries that were getting labeled as fake news have still somehow survived when the the micro outlets, you know, the Facebook pages, the independent publications, the YouTube channels. These are the things that are getting censored. When I haven't heard about a single major news organization that was labeled fake news being shut down and censored completely to where it's put offline, like completely offline to where they can't use their brand at all to spread news. This is a direct logical contradiction. This goes beyond hypocrisy. Contradiction is the dark underbelly of hypocrisy. Hypocrisy can be something in somebody's past to prove how they've changed. Or contradiction is evidence of how somebody is not changing. And this is the dark side of fake news. Is the people who are getting affected by fake news are the ones who most people don't even know who they are. They have the least authority, but in the internet age, everyone is kind of equal. And you care more about the headlines than the distributor. And we've been trained to think that, you know, fake news comes from an untrusted source. But the untrusted sources are getting labeled fake news just as much as, you know, things like, you know, major news outlets, 
but only one of these two are getting censored completely and absolutely. This should raise cause because the unrecognized news outlets are the modern equivalent of the free press. This should scare people because industrialized news isn't news because every single major news organization that has a major brand with brand recognition has followed Bernaysian marketing tactics. And if you think this is conspiracy, understand that I am a nobody brand and that I can be easily stamped out in ways that, you know, the industrialized news syndicate, they really, really like to do this because they don't like to be the bad guys. They don't care if it's Trump making them the bad guys and they don't care if it's the little guys making them the bad guys. But I refuse to say that I'm going to fix your problems for you. Like, you know, some people that talk about big picture like to be people's savior. No, you can save yourself. Like, all it takes is, you know, education and the courage to face the scary stuff. And I don't sell education. I don't sell ideas. All I ask is for the time, your time and attention to invest in yourself to learn these things. So come to libraryofconsciousness.com, which is, uh, you know, my library of consciousness. It is part of the Library of Consciousness Project, the evolution of, you know, journaling and blogging in a day and age where people love to make playlists and come here and learn and we can spread this good idea together before it gets stamped out. Because even if it gets stamped out now, it only takes somebody else doing this later to keep this alive. And it's not about me succeeding. It's about all of us succeeding. And realize if we want free press to come back, we got to say that before independent outlets are censored, whether or not we want to believe they're fake news, the industrialists have to put their money where their mouth is and they have to completely and absolutely censor the big news outlets to give rise to a new free press. In a day and age when journalists are not getting what they deserve and they are underemployed, things like medium and podcasting and you know, becoming your own media company like Gary V talks about is all journalists need to do to have a lifestyle that's better than they could get working for one of the industrialist news organizations. They have great reputations going through the past, but their time has come. If we want to see an end to fake news, we have to see an end to the industrialized news organizations and restore free press and realizing good ideas don't need to be enforced, bad ideas do. So who do you think is enforcing the independent bad idea news organizations? It's not conspiracy. You just follow the money. The thing is, is people organizing behind the scenes is literally what conspiracy is. But conspiracy has become such a taboo word that all it takes is muttering conspiracy theory for the person who says it first to lose credibility 
or to sorry to make the other person lose credibility. So, um, an interesting PR hack is be first to call things conspiracy. If you want people to listen to you over a mainstream, you know, theory like denier, like truth denier, just call what they what they're defending the establishment that they're defending. Call it a conspiracy theory that they think that you know truth is a conspiracy. Just avoid calling what you're saying the truth, and instead replace that with calling what they believe. Conspiracy theory. You'll be interested to understand that this seems like an ethical dilemma, uh, but it gives you the upper hand in a way that it's honest because the people who will say that it's dishonest are the same ones that don't want to listen when we point out truth and dishonesty and get labeled a conspiracy theorist by rearranging truth and dishonesty in a way that follows logic rather than collective reasoning. So if you want to break collective reasoning, use their tools against them. And realize it's not fighting fire with fire. It's fighting fire with water. And even if you fight fire with water, you're still going to have some idiots that complain about getting splashed with water. So ignore the idiots and, you know, start putting out the flames.